0: Welcome to Review It Yourself, Enthusiastic is over. Um, Today I've got a guest with me, uh, Aaron, from the Time to Talk Titanic podcast. Why did I find that difficult to say? Um, (laughs) And we're going to be reviewing uh, Titanic, the 1953 film. Um, So I'll throw over to Aaron. Welcome, Aaron. Nice to have you here.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, It's the first time I've actually been approached by another podcaster um, to, to feature on their their show. I have a lot of people reaching out that want to appear on my podcast. Um, but this is the first time I've had someone reach out and say, hey, do you want to come on and, and discuss it? So, yeah, really cool and interesting as well that it's not strictly a, a Titanic podcast that, that reached out. You know, it's a film review podcast. Um, so I like that. So thanks very much for having me.
0: It's absolutely fine. just a bit of an excuse. Uh, I've said this before um, when I reviewed uh, a documentary with uh, LA Beatles. Uh, she does a, a Titanic podcast over in the states, and she she said the same. And I said, well, if you look at if you look back through, and admittedly there are a lot of them. If you look back through my episodes, um, there's like Titanic, Titanic, Titanic all the way through. So it was a, it was a toss up really between doing a Titanic podcast and doing a film podcast. And the thing that swung it for me in the end was that I kind of looked and thought, well, there's enough Titanic podcasts out there. I don't know how I'd bring anything new to the table. It's easier mm-hmm. to just talk about a film. Um, yeah but no, it's it's interesting that you talk about people approaching you to be on yours like for me I've always mm. approached people to ask them to guest on mine and then if they want mm. to ask me on theirs then that's up to them um yeah so that's an interesting way to go about it it's a bit kind of oh, wouldn't I wouldn't have thought that was a way to do it like, excuse me can I come on yours no like who, who are you again so <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I've even had people um reach out and ask to be co-hosts and recently I was actually I'm actively looking for um like a pool of co-hosts now so I'm actually looking to have almost like a panel so I'd say up to maybe 10 plus myself and um, that it kind of changes you know each time we record so you know it will never be the same few people it might just be myself sometimes but before I was looking for that I would have people message me and be like hey can I be your co-host and I'd be like I don't know you <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I mean, sure, but we might have no chemistry at all, and then it would be rubbish, so... But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting when you say, you know, what what do I bring to the table that's different? And I kind of had a bit of that, because I started the podcast, and I started it with um, my friend Louis, who was my original co-host, and he's still part of the team, but it's not like a strict kind of two-man show anymore. It's kind of this, you know, entity that's grown a little bit. But... um. There was a period where I kind of stopped because I think I had a little bit of like imposter syndrome because I was like, you know, I was like, what am I bringing to the table? Like, what am I doing that's different? But then actually I thought, well, it's fun. I enjoy it. So even if I'm not bringing anything new, I'm having fun. But actually, I think for a lot of people that talk about Titanic and have like platforms, it's about keeping the story, not just keeping it alive. But keeping the truth and like the actual facts at the forefront, because there's a lot of kind of myths and misunderstandings around it. So I kind of view it now as I'm keeping its legacy alive in my own little way. And I'm also pushing the truth of the, the disaster and kind of, you know, putting to bed any misunderstandings that there, there are.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good way of putting it. I mean, you might not feel like you bring anything new, but you're bringing you. Like, that's the whole thing about, it's like podcasts. People will listen to you or they won't listen to you. And that goes for me and yourself and anyone who does one. You've kind of got to do it for yourself first and then just just enjoy it, I think. But no, it's yeah. it's it's a point you bring up. I know some people do a lot of kind of the political side of Titanic and apply it to now. And I, can, I kind of get that. But for me, it was, I don't know where I'd go with it so i just kind of left it to the side and thought well i'll come back to that later but uh
1: but you know, you you have the best of both worlds now because like you say you can kind of dip your toe in that titanic pool whenever you want and you know you can In discussing the film you know tonight we can go into all sorts so you know one episode you're doing can be about any film that's obviously nothing to do with titanic but then whenever you want, I mean, there's so many documentaries, there's multiple TV series of Titanic. So you you do kind of have the best of both where you can kind of you can still venture into the Titanic sphere, but you're not constricted to it.
0: Yeah, oh, it was an absolute cheat. It was to, to do films was, was an absolute kind of I'll do this. And then I kept it vague enough in the title and vague enough in what I said I'd do like it originally started off. Phone a bit months ago as just films. Then I started doing TV. Then I started doing documentaries. Then I started, uh, my friends writing a book, and said, "Can I come and talk about that?" So I was like, "Yeah, of course you can." I'll just create a side series, <laughs> uh. So you, I just start adding, I just add bits to it, um, yeah. and just you see what works, and if if it kind of lands on it, exactly. So uh, Surely. yeah. So we're here to talk about um Titanic, the nineteen fifty three film. Um, I did really like the introduction to this one. Uh, because I haven't seen it in quite a while, and I mean like years since I was a kid probably, the uh, yeah. opening with kind of the iceberg and this ominous music, this proper old-fashioned sweeping music was like, oh, that that's an interesting way to start. They don't usually start like that. They they tend to start with either the launch or the sailing, made in, you know, men voyage day. They don't tend to start with kind of this ominous, an iceberg breaks off and kind of floats at the sea. I thought that was an interesting way to do it.
1: Yeah, I liked that actually. It was... um Because like yourself, I first saw it when I was really young, and I feel like the website I watched on is probably like banned now. You know, the quality was awful. It was probably like upside down in certain parts. Um, so watching it today was like a a total treat because I was actually paying attention. Um, and it was a good quality. But yeah, the the start of it, um, it's quite ominous actually. And I can't. I wish I could remember where I either read or heard this, but. I think it was maybe the voiceover of a documentary about the Titanic. And it was saying that at the same time that the Titanic was, you know, being built or, you know, being born, the iceberg was kind of also coming to life. And, you know, their journeys almost, you know, judging by the size of the iceberg and its location, people have actually theorised that it would have broke away at about the same time that the Titanic started being built. And so they happen to just kind of begin at the same time and meet in the same place, which as a concept is really creepy because one is purely natural and one is man-made, but they both, you know, started at the same time, you know, they both came into in this horrific incident happened. So to start the film with this, like you say, this ominous iceberg rising out of the ocean was actually like a really Quite abstract and ominous choice, but yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It was really cool.
0: Yeah, it was. It was just such a unique way, and i would forgotten that's what it was like. And mm. it, I thought, yeah, this is this is a and the music as well, like really you know swelled up. And I thought, oh, this is um, quite clever. And then they have a really uh, clever way to introduce the characters, um, mm-hmm. a lot of which we don't see because it's very historical for the most part. It kind of just follows a family. And you've got them, the the people going through. And I know people have said it's it's not massively historically accurate, especially if mm-hmm. you're in a tight like we are. We'll probably pick bits out of it. But you know the reading out things like, "Oh, this is a gift for the Guggenheims. This is a gift for the Astors. This is a gift." For, and I was like, "Oh, that's quite a good way of doing it." And then we meet. Yeah. Nice. No, so yeah, very yeah, good.
1: No, no, just totally agreeing. Um, just when you're saying that, it was something I picked up on that. They, they do, they mentioned, you know, Archibald Butt and, you know, we, we do see, you know, we see the Astors and we see the Straussies. Um, So it's actually a clever way of acknowledging the people that were on the ship. But it's, it's interesting that they also do away with certain people. So, you know, you don't have Bruce Esme, you don't have Thomas Andrews, but um, it's interesting. So it's interesting that they acknowledge people that were on the ship, but then they also completely erase others who were on the ship. It's strange. I quite
0: quite like that, to be fair. I quite like the fact that, unlike many other Titanic films, including the 97 one, the characters are there, but the story's not beholden to them. Like, this is probably the the only Titanic film I've seen, series Mm -hmm. or anything like that, that's reenacted it, that you don't have, like, the characters bumping into people and they don't, you know, like the Astors, and they're there, the Strausses are there, but they don't become a massive part of it. It really is Mm -hmm. just on one story. I know that was a criticism of kind of the it's 97 Titanic that, well, why do you get these fictional characters? And I know this is the same. They're both fictional, this family. But they bounce off the historical characters and people kind of didn't like that very much. Whereas this mm-hmm. film, it's just like they're there because they're the passengers, but we're not really having anything to do with them. Um, yeah. And obviously it's it's British, so it sets up the class system really, really early on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you see the maids and you see the... Um, or the, well, the masters if you will you see the first class passengers then you see the crew so it's it's quite interesting the way they introduce all these characters together
1: it's good what you're saying is spot on that you know these true historical characters that you know were really there you know they're not totally integral to the story you know the, the main point is you know Barbara Stamrick's character Clifton Webb's character you know they, they are the focal point point. and I actually wrote in my notes at one point I, I said you know, why was J.J. Astor even in this film? Was it just so that he could give Richard a suit? Because it, it kind of seems like that's the only reason that he was even in it, because, you know, Richard and was like, oh, J.J., J., can I go into your room and get a suit? And J.J.'s like, sure, you do you. And you go, um, and and that's it. And then you briefly see him getting Madeline onto lifeboat, and that's it. Like, so, and then there's, even the Strausses, you know, they're mentioned and they're in it a couple of times, actually, but they didn't need to be. You know, they just kind of were, because I think actually the Straussies might be the only characters that are in every single iteration of, you know, the, the retelling of the story. Because, you know, the the image of the el- elderly couple refusing to part has just become so entangled yeah. in the legend. So, you know, doing away with Ismay and Thomas Andrews is one thing, but it's like, God forbid that we did away <laughs> with the Straussies. Like, we can't do that.
0: No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, although, to be fair, not to dampen the mood down but for people who aren't uh you'll understand why i've said that in a minute <laughs> i'm trying not to be funny about it but i'm trying to be serious there so it's Isidore and isa strauss so they were the uh, owners of macy's the department store in new york um and i think the only iteration that they aren't in is the 1943 titanic but that was done by the nazi party and i think if i'm right in remembering the jewish heritage so clearly they wouldn't have been in it Although that yes. although that story does have Jewish characters in it, but it's kind of all evil and it's all to do with their insane logic yeah. and back and Anyway, not to depress yeah, it down.
1: And <laughs> the um it's on YouTube for anyone that wants to watch it. And whoever uploaded it has literally called it Nazi Titanic. So it's <laughs> easy to find. And you know, you you won't be looking for long. But um yeah. You probably won't watch it for long. Oh god, I know it's it's a lot. Isme in that version is heavily coded as being Jewish, which in real life he wasn't. Um, but yeah, they just, yeah, Isme in it, you're watching it and it's disgusting because he's just every awful caricature of a Jewish person that the Nazis could think of, they just put onto the character of Isme. Um, you know, but it, it just shows, you know, all these different versions, there's all these different ways of of, uh, of retelling it. But with this, the 1953 version, what I thought was really interesting, you know, so we've kind of spoken about, you know, briefly the kind of historical characters, fictional characters. I'm assuming anyone listening to this has either seen the film or wants to see the film. and I would recommend watching it. Um, But in terms of the actual, the set design, I find it really interesting because the film came out 41 years after the sinking. And so RMS Olympic, who was like, Titanic's nearly identical sister ship had only been out of service for like a few years at this point. Um, but for some reason the sets look nothing, nothing like Titanic or Olympic, which is fine, but they actually look more like the like the Mortania or the Lysitania, which were the two ships that came kind of before the Olympic class. And, you know, they were very big, they were very fast, they were like super luxurious. And you know, for for instance the dining rooms on the Lusitania and the Mauritania were like two or three stories high they were huge like the dining rooms um, they were like marble and gold and they had balconies and like multiple staircases and um, skylights and domes you know they were stunning and people who were able to tour the olympic when the olympic you know was launched criticized it because the dining rooms there were like one story like they're just like normal rooms and okay they were beautiful but they were seen as kind of underwhelming because they were like you know we've already got the Lusitania which is like a palace and then you've got this you know but the reason for that was the White Star Line kind of wanted to emphasize technological advancement over you know the look of the ship so I mean the ship was stunning but you know the Lusitania were drawing from like palaces and foreign lands when it came to the decor but the White Star Line really wanted to kind of emphasise on. Britishness, and they wanted passengers to come on and feel like they were in a manor house or, you know, a townhouse in London. You know, the the dining room on the Titanic, the first class dining room was inspired by the Ritz in London. And the reason that it didn't have to be multiple stories was because on the Lusitania, there was no air conditioning. So the boilers below would make the ship really, really, really hot. But the hot air would rise to the tops of these really big rooms, so, people sitting having dinner wouldn't be like burning alive. But on the Titanic, they had air conditioning. So, the White Star Line was like, you know, we don't need big tall rooms because we've got fancy modern air conditioning. So, so, it was interesting watching this film and seeing these really, really, really tall rooms. And I'm like, you could be on the Lusitania, it's pretty convincing. Um, and like I say, it'd only been 40 odd years. So, there'd be people who had been on the Titanic or the Olympic would be sitting watching this going, that doesn't look like Titanic.
0: <laughs> I've got, I've got, but, um, I've got an, I think I've got an explanation that weaves through what you've said absolutely in that uh-huh. it was about, for the White Star it was about cost. So they went for single-story rooms because it was the cost. Also, the difference between the White Star ships and the Cunard ships is that the Cunard ships, all their funnels worked as far as I'm aware, whereas the Titanic's fourth one didn't. That's what they used mm-hmm. for air conditioning, which is why the Titanic has so few of those, and I've forgotten the name of them. Um, the air intakes, they've got so few yeah. of those on the deck compared to like the Aquitania uh, that came a little bit later. Um, but it was very similar. And it was about cost for them, I think, to try and keep the costs down. And to be fair, if anything, from a purely shipbuilding point of view, the Olympic liners, the Titanic, uh, the Olympic Titanic Britannic, they were, if anything, just old technology. Especially in terms of the the rudders and the way they were put together, they were very old-fashioned. Whereas the Lusitania and mm-hmm. Mauritania were very streamlined. They were quick. They were going for that blue ribbon speed record, which is another myth. People say, oh, they lit the, the boilers in the Titanic to get it to go faster a bit. They were never going to beat the record. It's yeah. like think about it like this. So, so you've got like these the for like the layperson, the the Cunard liners were like thoroughbreds, slim, fast, built for speed but still luxurious, still lovely to look at. Whereas the Titanic, the Olympic class, were very much like, you know, beautiful, but like a big shy horse. They were beautiful, they did the job, but they were much bigger, uh, they weren't as quick. So that that was, yeah. and also, yeah, but I do think this is where a film comes into it, in that because back then, the more luxurious parts of the Titanic that we think about, such as the, the Grand Staircase, would not have been possible to build to look anywhere near as good, you know, until you get 1997 yeah. technology. Let's CGI it now. Whereas, so I think what they did was they were like, right, well, we'll just make these big rooms. We'll have to just make these big double-story rooms that people would expect to be on a ship like that. Whereas people like yeah. us osu- who've read about it and looked at pictures go, yeah, that wasn't on it. But yeah, this is, but it's still, still enjoyable. But no, I picked up that as well. I was oh, like.
1: Totally. And it's really funny how tastes <laughs> change because even on the film poster, it's the Queen Mary. You know, so the first thing people would have seen in 1953 is the Queen Mary and then they go into the cinema and the model they use is really good. I think it's a fantastic model that they use um, for, you know, the day shots where it's sailing and there's smoke coming out the funnels um, the sinking shots. Just in general, the visual effects are fantastic. I think they really hold up well. Um, so it's just funny that, you know, they really put all this attention to detail for the model. But then on the poster, they were like, ah, we'll just slap on the Queen Mary, it'll be fine. No, no, no. And it's like, well, OK, that's a choice. But um, but the tastes really do change because, I mean, the Titanic and the Olympic were stunning. They were beautiful. The Grand staircase is just gorgeous. But in terms of kind of the taste that people had in the 40s and 50s, they would have been looking for things like they see in this film. You know, they look at the rooms in this film and go, wow, that's amazing. Whereas if they'd actually built accurate sets, people in the 50s would have been like, is that what the Titanic looks like? It's a bit boring. You know, it's a bit bit small, bit cramped. Um so so yeah, I can totally see why why they did that. Um yeah, I just I just thought it was um really funny. And there's one film in particular which came out before this. It might actually be quote unquote Nazi Titanic, I'm not sure, where um there's like this ballroom and it's like four stories tall, it's huge. Um so at least this film dialed it down a little bit.
0: Yeah, and also, I mean, maybe maybe they, they wanted to be more filmic, you know, more cinematic. Um, And also, I think if you remember what what the world was like, you know, in the late 40s, the early 50s, Britain was still in rationing from the war. There was a lot of hardship across Europe. Uh, America was, reco- well, well, America was kind of still recovering as well. Um, So I mm-hmm. think, if anything, the people probably wanted to see something grand they didn't want to see something that was kind of, you know, I I always think about if it's like they keep talking about, you know, they're making this Titanic theme thing in China and they keep talking about making a second Titanic. Well, the issue would be if you made one that actually sailed, because I know they're building, the the one in China, but if you built one that actually sailed, once it went past a normal sized tanker or went past a a passenger ship, you'd be like, that's really small. Like it would really, it would not, I wouldn't want to see one personally, because I think it would like, Ruin it. I think I'd see it and be like, "Is that? Is that it?" um Especially yeah. like like the Co- the Costa Concordia disaster when that sank, um capsized, and because uh, I remember I was at work when that was in the news and people were like, "I don't know if it was the same for you, and People were like, "Oh, you like ships? I mean, it's not as big as the Titanic, though, is it?" And I was like, mm, "Yes, no, it's not. It's like a, a hundred foot longer and a bit more and a lot higher." And and people were like, "Is it really?" I thought the Titanic was huge. I was like, "Well, it was for the day." But for today, yeah. like 100-odd years later, it would be a bit like, oh, look at the little little ship, isn't it? You know, not to do it down, but it would kind of fail against your expectations. So maybe that's where they were going. I don't know. That's just my oh, idea. Completely.
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the characters, so we've got Julia, who's played by Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, we've got Richard, who is played by Clifton Webb. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman, don't know the actor's name, but in terms of the daughter, is her name Annette?
0: Yes, Annette. Yeah, it is yeah,
1: yeah. She's good. I, I like her. I, I like her. Yeah, yeah. But no god, what do you mean? To... What do you really think? Go on. Her mum basically like kind of sums up how I feel, and I feel like Annette's a bit of a lost cause and a bit pointless, and there's no point even trying she's anymore. An, like, she's an,
0: I've got a quote. I've written. She's an arrogant little prig. That's the mother talking about her child. Because if anyone who hasn't seen this, like Annette's like she's nearly eighteen. She's like seventeen, nearly eighteen. Um, so the the upshot is we meet we meet Mister Richard Sturgis, Clifton Webb, and Mrs Sturgis, uh, Julia Sturgis, is it? And they're estranged. He's English, she's American. Uh, does it sound familiar? It should do <laughs> for a Titanic <laughs> film. Um, they've got like two kids, or we think they've got two kids, but more on that later. So we've got mm. we've got uh, you know seventeen, nearly eighteen year old Annette um very kind of like a dad very prim and proper and exactly what you'd expect of a woman of or a lady of that age that era um edwardian people not victorian and not the other people always get it confused anyway um yeah it's a bugbear of mine isn't it anyway (laughs) so um she's like a lost the mother's like i want to take them back to america i want to take them back to their roots the two highly strung I don't want to have to do with it. Like, she's a lost cause, but, the you know, Norman isn't. Norman's 10, I think. They don't mention it, but apparently IMDb
1: is 10. Yeah, apparently he's 10. And I really like with Norman, um, his obsession with, you know, the first line he has is he really wants to see the Marconi aerials on the Titanic Mm -hmm. as they're approaching on the tender. Um, And he mentions it a couple of times, you know, he's really fascinated with the Marconi equipment. And it's a little thing, but in terms of a character kind of, thing it's it's really it's good because a 10 year old boy nowadays might be obsessed with the latest you know gadgets or you know the next iphone you know what what kind of updates is it going to have whereas a 10 year old in 1912 actually you know something like the marconi which on the titanic the fact that passengers could pay to have messages sent home and they're in the middle of the ocean that's like mind-blowing in 1912 so a little 10 year old boy would absolutely be you know wanting to see that room so I thought I thought that was really nice for Norman. I like that.
0: Yeah. So uh yeah it was it was great and that that was really new technology at the time. Um you could talk to another continent. It was absolutely unheard of. Um so the, the class lines are very distinctly drawn. She's lower class than her husband. They've been estranged for a while. She's taken the kids to America she wants to give them a more simpler life. She thinks the daughter's lost cause, but the son and he um, has tracked them down. He gets on board at Paris, uh, Cherbourg, he gets on board. But you gather they've come from Paris. He gets told, and this gets right on my nerves because it's so, it's like, it wasn't even, it was barely half full, the Titanic. But the guy's like, no, you can't get on the Titanic, sir. It's, it's fully booked. I was like, oh. Uh, but he gets a ticket off, um, I can't remember this, Spanish or something like that, I can't remember. Um, Off a
1: family... And- it takes no convincing. He just, you know, (laughs) Clifton Webb walks up to this random man and his wife that they're carrying like a box of grapes and they're like, we're going to plant this and make an orchard and, you know, we're going to make wine and it'll be great. And they're so excited. And all Clifton Webb has to do is like mention some money, like, "Mm, you know, you could make a lot of money, but I could give you more. And like that, the husband's just like, bye America, guess we're going to stay here because this stranger has just offered to buy my ticket, like it took no convincing at all for this family but to give
0: up the- It's a minor inconvenience to the guy, the guy gets a lot of money, they can buy an even bigger land when they get there, the, the wife and the, the daughters and kids or whatever are still going to go and he's like oh well I'll get a later ticket and I'll still have all this money left over but the whole upshot of this is he's quite unpleasant at the beginning, Clifton card, he's yeah. quite unpleasant, um He's, uh, he says something to them that I was like, oh, that's, and I'm not easily kind of bothered by stuff, but he says something like, what did he say? Oh, yeah. I, I just go over there into your native huddle. I think he says to them, doesn't he? Uh, something like, <laughs> like, like, you go over there and like decide in whatever you speak. It's essentially what he's saying. And you're like, oh, that's a bit rough. Um, he's, he's not a
1: very, likeable, not pleasant. Man. No, no. Even when the man says, you know, well, sir, we've been fully booked since March, Cliff Webb's like, well, that's great for you. But it is like, it's funny, but he's just rude. He's just... not oh, yeah.
0: But, I mean, that's probably the... You gather from later on in the film, because this really isn't a film about Titanic, ironically. This is a film about... You know, it's about characters, about, about an strange family. You could have set this oh. in a manor house in England somewhere, and it would have still been good. It just probably wouldn't My, have, you know. my
1: last <laughs> note for this, totally, was um my very last note was the fact it's set on Titanic feels so secondary... And inconsequential, and I said to my partner, actually, I was like, you know, the people that die in this film, you could have them die in a bus crash, and it would be the exact same. You know, it didn't have to be on the Titanic. You know,
0: <laughs> it's true. Although, I mean, there has been there have been films. I don't know if you, if you haven't seen it, track it. It's not easy to find, but it's called. Uh, is it the Last Voyage? Have you ever seen that? Uh, oh. Is it the Last Voyage of the? Yeah, it's the Last Voyage. Basically, it's the Titanic story but they couldn't, mm-hmm. they didn't make it about a Titanic, they made it about something else, and they made it kind of more souped up in terms of, it's old, it's like 1960, I think. I think Ooh. it's 1960, it's called The Last Voyage. Um, it's quite hard to get hold of over here. I think it's easy in America, but it's quite uh-huh. decent. Um, so th- there has been films that have been done that have been the Titanic in all but name. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is it is kind of inconsequential that they're on the Titanic. It just brings things to, to a head. Because um, yeah. I'd forgot I'd forgotten how how much it was about them. And we go back to that what we said at the beginning about the other characters on the Titanic inconsequential. Yeah. Because the, the, it doesn't matter about them because we're, we're following this family. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um she, Oh yeah. She says about Norman, she says the young kid, she's like, he's going to walk to school, not get, you know, not get a, a lot of ponies to when uh, a carriage to take him. And she's not yeah. being like, and she's not trying to be funny. You gather that he's actually, that's how he's getting to school or whatever. Um, and he, yeah. she's like, I don't want this for him. Um, she sees what the daughter's become like. But to be fair for the daughter, she meets this cheeky chappy American tennis player and he starts to break down those barriers. That was that was quite nice to be fair. Um, but she, she, she wants to, basically, she wants to get their feet on the ground, doesn't she? She's like, I want to, you know, try and get them a bit more grounded. We're going to go to the new world, go to America, back home for her as well. Um, mm-hmm. Because you gather the dad's being quite distant. Like he's a good dad to them, but he's been quite distant. He travels around, and we've lived out of hotels. And he's like, "Well, they were very nice hotels," which I just thought was such a funny argument. Like we've been living in hotels, yeah, but they were nice hotels.
1: Um, it was an interesting dynamic because it would have been so easy for for them to make Richard unlikable. And okay, he kind of was, but he was like funny. So although he was saying things that were rude and arrogant. It was almost like pan to my mess. Like, you could, you could laugh at it. It wasn't too abhorrent, you know, to the point where it made him irredeemable. Because if they'd done that, then you wouldn't care later on when what happens, happens. Yeah. Um, so when he arrives at dinner and he walks up to the table, you know, the kids are really happy to see him. and The, the only person that's not happy to see him is Julia. So, you know, like you say, he is clearly a good dad to them. Um, and then he kind of stopped being a good dad to one of them. And then he starts being a good dad yeah. when it's too late. Um, so actually, do. it's an interesting... Um,
0: I've got I've got, I've Sorry, no, I'm just thinking to help you out a little bit. I've got a point which explains how he gets away with being like he is, apart from the fact he's got money. There's a scene <laughs> just, just after he gets on board the ship and he bumps into all the maids and she's like, oh, I was on the RMS, whatever. Uh, you probably don't remember me. And he goes, oh, yes, I do. Uh, you have a daughter. She plays piano, blah, something like that. And she's like, oh, thank you for remembering. Uh, she's like a stewardess, and off she or a maid, and off she goes. And you see how charming he is, and he's naturally very charming, and he he's not too bad on the eye for the ladies either. So you're thinking, right? Um, yeah, you can understand why he is as he is, not especially when he walks around the tables and he's saying to people, oh hello, Mister Sonton." He's saying hello to, "We'll play that game," and he's he's really he's a. I hate to use the cliche, but he's a smooth operator, isn't he? You can see this is a guy who's, you know, quite charming and disarms people. Um, But he is quite unpleasant at the beginning, like not irredeemably so, but, you know, he is a little bit. Um, So, yeah. So the upshot is there's there's a brilliant scene where she tells him, you know, he's not your son. And I was I'd forgotten. I literally gasped. I was like, whoa, this I wasn't expecting that at all because it's been so prim and proper. Um, and I actually, uh, for anybody listening, I messaged Darren partway through before we'd started this saying, this film's so prim and proper, like I'm going to sound so common talking about it because it's so, <laughs> it's so like upper class at the beginning. I'm thinking, how am I going to talk about this? Um, but yeah. I
1: read one of the uh, lines from the film because it was just, I couldn't stop. I would pause it and just laugh because it was just so brilliantly delivered from Clifton Webb and, um, so you know he's trying to get his kids back she's essentially kidnapping them you know she doesn't want them to grow up with their dad because she's worried what they're going to become and you know we're, we're saying that um Annette is a lost cause because she's like you know Annette wants to be like her dad and that could be why she's attracted to Robert Wagner's character because he is essentially like a young version of her dad you know he's charming and he can walk up to people and just chat to people you know so that might be why she likes him but um so Julia you know Barbara Samick's character says you know I'll be as common as you think I am. I'll, I'll take you to the courts and I'll, I'll fight you all the way. But the, their bedroom, the cabin doors open because oh, yeah. they're yeah. just dinner. So Clifton Webb just casually closes the door and says, could you be common in a slightly lower voice? <laughs> and I could not stop yeah. laughing. Next time I go to my local ASDA, I'm going to use that because <laughs> it will come in handy. I'm just going to start firing that at people. I, I thought I just thought that was such a funny line and delivered so well. Excellent, top yeah, tier.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was brilliant. And, but it is it's that kind of thing. But and this film has examples of and it and this is probably why it won the Academy Award for for, for you know for the screenplay because it's so beautifully written at times that it can tell you so much about what the characters are doing without mm-hmm. by showing you something. It doesn't have to. Yeah. So I think the problem modern films have is that they they, you know, they, they tell, they don't show, they tell you, this is the, this character is the best, the bestest fighter in the world. I know best isn't the word, but the bestest everest fighter in the world. And mm-hmm. you go, right. But we haven't seen them do that. And you exactly. just expected to accept it. And this film, um, what happens in this is there's a brilliant bit. after She's told him this and she's out on the deck and, um, she's looking at the sea and he comes out to talk to her, uh, or is it wherever it is and she drops like the bag she's carrying now even out of the you know niceties or the civilities of today you'd probably pick it up for her uh, whether you're a man or a woman um but he she looks at him because she's in a dress and it probably is not easy for her to get down either and a big fur coat and she looks at him and he look and he doesn't he just looks back at her and there's so mm-hmm. much said in that that's kind of like yeah i know you want me to pick it up but i'm not picking it up for you and yeah. you can, she eventually just picks it up and you can see like he's lost all respect for her. Like they've been estranged, and you know, you've gathered the still love there. But after she drops this bombshell on him, he's like, No, I've got I've got nothing left for you. Um, and that's and- so funny
1: to bring up that specific, because right after um the, you know, could you be common in a slightly lower voice? I wrote that exact like the whole scene I just wrote all of that, and exactly what you've just said, I wrote um, show don't tell. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Because it does, and it's like, it's instinctual for her. She's used to, she doesn't, and they both play it so well because it would have been easy for her to to look pompous. You know, she she, she goes to fix her coke and she drops it by accident. It's not, it's not on purpose. And her face, she just has, it's almost blank. You know, she just, cause it's instinctual. You know, a man is near you. A man's going to pick something up for you. And his face, he's not being evil or nasty they're both just kind of blank because she instinctually just would expect someone to pick it up for her. And I think he just doesn't want to. He's not doing it to be bad. He just is like, no. And they both just play it so realistically, actually. And I think when people think of films from the fifties, yeah, they can be a bit campy and a bit over the top and a bit pantomime. But that little moment, I was like really taken aback by it. I was like, that's fantastic. And, and you're right. I I seem like that, you know. You might see it in a film nowadays, but uh, filmmaking has gone so lazy. Oh so, god! Like, Absolutely, so-
0: yeah. I mean, I think the problem with with and exactly what you're saying is that the films, like my dad, loves cowboy films. He loves, mm. you know, and I don't mean like the, you know, Clint Eastwoods, I mean way back when, you know, I mean like Shenandoah and and films like that. The, the films that there was no special effects there was no computer effects, the editing and you know, everything was, you know, filmmaking was quite, not primitive, but compared to today it was. There was nothing mm-hmm. to hide behind for an actor. There was no explosions. Yeah. There was no fast cutting. It was just you there on screen talking to somebody. And if you couldn't act, you're out the door. Um, yeah. And I think that, that that shows, it reminds me of the kind of film, and I know this is another cliche, but they don't make films like this anymore. Like, if, can you imagine if this was, you know, pick any of the you know the best actors of today um, who are in the biggest blockbusters and the, the, the leading ladies who are in the biggest blockbusters and put them in a room and go, We want you to have a scene like this. It, it wouldn't be half as good, um, mm-hmm. personally. But I mean, I, I don't know if you agree on it. Because it,
1: it's the underacting of it. It's, there was like almost no acting. It was just, they just both stood there. And I actually had to rewind it because I was a bit confused because I looked down for a second to, to write something and then I heard this big bang and I looked up and I was like what the hell just happened so i put it back and then I was like, oh it was her purse okay and then I'm, I'm just looking at them both and it was actually it was almost awkward because it, it goes on for quite a bit they, yeah. they prolong a little bit and I was just I, I didn't expect um and there was only one other scene I think that actually rebound because I was so taken aback by it but we'll, we'll get onto that a bit later but um but yeah I was really I was really surprised by it it was fantastic really good
0: yeah. And also it has like really good side characters. So you get um you get um so yeah, he won't pick up a bag and he gets back and he's angry and he basically says to, to her, I won't have anything to do with him. Um I'm taking my daughter, you can take him to America. Um I'm I'm done. He's not mine, I've got no responsibility towards him. Which As awful as it sounds, it's kind of maybe how it would have been done. I'm not massive on the civilities of then, but it probably would have been acceptable for him to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. As nasty as it comes across. Well, it's not nasty. It's just cold, and you can tell he's deeply, deeply wounded by it. And there's
1: a scene... It's a different vibe, but you think of these really trashy, like Jeremy Kyle or Jerry Springer... Where there'd be like a dna test and it was like you are not the father <laughs> and that's mori Ma- povich that was you know the, the famous one but um and these guys that even if they've raised these kids all of a sudden they're like no you know he's not mine so don't care and so it probably would have been a bit of a faux pas back then to, to do such a thing but actually it would have been more of a faux pas for her to have not told him for her to have even done that you know so actually, you're right, but society would have be, been more on his side than hers in yeah,
0: 1912. Because from what I can, from what I understand about that as well, is that a lot of, my this might be a bit old. I don't know if this had, I don't know if this had gone out of British society by this point, but I certainly know in Victorian times, mm-hmm. the bi- the business would pass to, like the firstborn son, or to the, um, so I'll give you, uh, all to kind of like the the eldest. Uh, male employee. So I'll give an example of this, and it's really random, but I love the film. And it's so have you ever seen Oliver? You know, with Oliver, you know the yep. musical, right? The bit where he goes to the Undertakers, uh played by Leonard yep. Rossiter, and he becomes like an apprentice. And the young lad who's in there calls him work ass, and he's really annoyed at him. Mm-hmm. It's because in the lo- in the line of the business, the business will go to Oliver, not to the second, not to him anymore. So that's kind of how it worked. I don't know if that was still in place by this point. <clears throat> I don't explain that in the film. Um, he's just annoyed at him, which is a bit odd. But I don't know if it's still like that in Edwardian times, but I do know there was a, there was still that like line of succession. And especially as it's not his son, because you pass things on to your son. I still think yeah. by this point, there was still kind of, I don't know how it worked towards your daughters and things. I'm not that up with it. Um, I tend to stick with you know, the military side of the twentieth century, but um, yeah I think I think that's did that make sense? I hope it did. <laughs>
1: no, yeah, yeah, totally. Um and I, I think it, it just shows his pride as a person. You know, he clearly is a very proud person and I mean for anyone it'd be a shock, you know. And he does he redeems himself later in the film, but it's quite shocking actually because you're you're shown as a an audience member how close him and his son, Norman, are. Yeah. You know, there's games on the deck that they take part in, and, you know, he's always got his arm around him, and he, he clearly loves his son, and his son loves him. So for him to then so quickly just want to detach and want nothing to do with him, it's really, you know, it's really harsh. And when, when you see it, you know, take place, when Norman is at the receiving end of a father who suddenly doesn't want anything to do with him, and Norman doesn't understand the context of that it's, it's really sad to see actually
0: yeah and she says that to him doesn't she she says look um don't tell he's, he's too young to be like smacked in the face like this and she doesn't mean it literally she means it figuratively she's like he's too young for slapping the face like this uh, he doesn't understand and he's like well make him understand and she's like really like we can't we can't you know we can't do this to him he, he doesn't understand but obviously i've got the kid's ten. This isn't like this isn't like an eighteen-month-old baby that you kind of go. Oh, by the way, um, the kid's ten. Like this is a long time, you know. And also from like her point of view, she she doesn't like callously spit it at him in anger. She just mm-hmm. says it to him, and it's like always. Oh, like, are you using this to try and get him to kind of walk away and let you do what you want to do, which is to take your kids to America? Uh, it's because- almost
1: like. A last resort, like she's had it up her sleeve for this moment. Well, he, he says to that to
0: it. He says that to it, doesn't he? He says something mm-hmm. like, "You've got, you know, you've got an ace up your, you know, you've got an ace up your sleeve." Because he plays cards, and he says, "You've yep. got, an, you've clearly got an ace up your sleeve." So play it. Oh, why mm-hmm. does she play it? <laughs> she, really plays it right to his face, um, and then you see the impact on him because the maid that he was really friendly with earlier, he's mm-hmm. like, um, he, "He," she says, "Oh, hello, Mister Strauss," and he just walks past her. And ignores it. You see, she's shocked. Um, And yeah, and and about the side characters, you get um, Reverend George S. Healy. uh, And we we know that because you you see it embossed on his Bible. So he's been a a priest who's been uh, like, uh, is it called defrocked? Like he's been kicked out, dismissed. Um, Yeah. And he's going back home and he he telegrams his family to say, I'm going to go back home. And we see that telegram later on.
1: And there's a tiny scene just after the whole you know dropping the bag scene there's a lot of scene between him and Julia and I was really captivated by the visual effects in that so you've got the water you know they're moving through the water you've got the, the starry sky but it's you know there's little faint clouds still there and it looks pretty convincing you know if, if you like half shut your eyes you would think that they were actually on a ship you know moving through a kind of you know starry night. I just, I've just looked at that little scene and thought that is really well done, really, really well done.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, see, I was. It was that good. I didn't notice. So there you go. I was just, and the, the performance is brilliant. So this this priest, well, this ex priest. Do you ever stop becoming a priest? He's drunk. Uh, he like half collapses like onto the railings, and she helps pick him up. And he says, "You know, I'm always two things: drunk and helpful." And she's like, "Well, I don't need any help," which I, I laughed at. Thought that was such a good line. She's uh, <laughs> like, "I don't need any help." Um, and then he says, you know, I've been, we see later on, she helps him back to his cabin. Uh, she's mm-hmm. like, I'll call the ship's doctor. He's like, no, no, I just, you know. So she's looking for some liver salt or something for him to drink before he goes to sleep. And he says, you know, it started off with a little bit of Hennessy to help me through the, di- Hennessy for anybody. Is it a Scotch or a whiskey? I can't remember.
1: Um, I think it's a whiskey, but I could be wrong.
0: I, I do Poss- to. Don't want to be presuming asking yourself, but I wasn't sure. I thought you might know. I thought you might know. Um, uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, and he talks about how dealing with all the sadness of, of people's lives has affected him as a priest. And he needed a crutch, a comfort, uh, something to, you know, something to help him. And unfortunately, the crutch became a little glass of Hennessy. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and he makes a bit of a joke about his parishioners saying, oh, you know, Father... Father, uh, Not Hennessy, geez. No, it might have been called that. Uh, Father Healy, sorry. Uh, you know, he's just having a Hennessy. He must have a bad cold. He's like, well, I ended up having a lot of colds and this was in June. And it's quite it's quite amusing, but it's such... One of those scenes where you think that... There's no, like, reason for it. Like, in terms of if you had to... When you were editing a film now, you'd be like, right, what what does this scene actually achieve? Because it doesn't really show us particularly comforting. It doesn't advance the plot. But it, it just... Fleshes out the world and shows like how he's fought, like how he's fallen on hard times. Um, and I love that. I love that scene. Like this is what I mean. Like this film is probably, and I'd, i yeah, I will stand by this statement. I think it's probably the best written Titanic film I've ever seen. And I certainly wasn't expecting to say that when I when I started watching it. Um, it is. That's
1: point, actually I've not thought about that, but I think I think maybe right. I think maybe right with that.
0: I mean, also, I meant to say earlier when you were talking about um, the way that it's filmed, that the Titanic's inconsequential. This plays almost like a stage show. So you could you could put this alongside like an Inspector Calls or Woman in Black in terms of it. it. It feels like it could have been made to be put on a stage, yep. um, because it could be very easily. You could do it very easily. Obviously, the, the latter parts of it you couldn't, but the beginning parts you you certainly could because it's it's played very much like. Stage showing it's all about the characters, and um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. Um, so what happens after that? Um, oh, yeah, he refuses the match with his son, doesn't he? So,
1: yeah, it's it's, it's really sad. Um, it, it was really funny just when you said, you know, what happens after that. I'm not entirely sure what the scene was, but my next note was, they turned Captain Smith into a total dish. Hello.
0: But did you notice? I mean, whatever floats your boat, but oh god, that that, I didn't mean it like that. I did not mean it like that. Whatever whatever sinks your boat exactly well, yeah, exactly. Um, on the flip side of it though, they made him really young and dashing, and then they made Officer Murdoch, he looked about 50. I was like, he's meant to be like, he was like 39.
1: I know it's really weird. It was just so I, I don't know what scene it was exactly, but I just looked and was like. Is that meant to be Captain Smith? Like, and we'd already seen him, but it was just this particular. I don't know if it was the lighting or the camera angle. I was like, why are they trying to make him like a sex symbol? Like that's know. random. And he like, was that, like, that's that's a
0: that's, a bold, that's a bold move, isn't it? That's a really bold move. Yeah. And because <laughs> there's that, there's, that's that's not. A, there's that scene where he sat down. and He's kind of humming away, and that's another thing. Um. So, oh yeah, so uh, and also. Uh, what begins to happen we meet this american Giff gifford and he makes a point about his name he says well my mother was always going to call one of us gifford and it was it was me so he's um an american uh he's at purdue or something like that um a mm-hmm. university over there uh, and he goes and meets the mother and she's you see the class differences very much because americans just they say they're classless which you stick with that fair enough they're not but fair enough and he's very much like look uh, he's on her level and he talks to her and she she just sees right through him and he's like our oh, name's net, blah blah and they get to have this relationship and he's breaking down these barriers with her and the film becomes like very musical um and I love that shot where Giff um he, he like dances with her on the deck and there's people watching and she's like bye boys and she walks off and uh, he's like so happy he, like throws his cap into the sea in joy and then um, it just like it floats that. past it floats past like the these like little chunks of ice and I thought, oh that's I love the little switch of oh yeah, this really nice scene, but you know what's coming. And I, I like that. But I did read a review saying that people didn't like that scene, that it was a little bit um I can't remember what the song is. I think I think it's like a I think, yeah, what uh it's like a Native American song, isn't it? Is it something about I don't think I wrote it down. Did you write it down?
1: No, um, but what I did write down was Robert Wagner's little dance and sing-song number made me want to jump overboard. <laughs> when he randomly threw his hat into the sea, I was extremely jealous of the hat.
0: <laughs> Fair
1: I, I was, like, sitting there. and You know, it was all good, all fine. And I like musicals. I actually do like musicals. But then all of a sudden, he just started singing and dancing. And I was like, what's going on and then the people on top of like the officer's quarters or whatever started like clapping and playing a harmonica and he just went on and on and i'm sitting there like okay that was a choice and then so it was just really funny hearing because i was like i was curious to hear what your take on because there's quite a few singing sections in this film which i was really surprised by i really
0: i really enjoyed this so i've i've written down um (laughs) i've written down it's a couple of points later than this but it's also because I think in a few scenes, uh, we'll mm. come back to the scene, but in a few scenes you see Captain Smith and he's having his pipe and smoking away and just just all sexy with the smoke on his head. And he's watching, <laughs> uh, again, like these people on this stage singing and gif is yeah. like serenading her again, gets a bit of a kiss. And, and I literally wrote down in my notes, very musical, this film. It's the only Titanic film, but this, this is what I thought. You could have made it a musical, but number two, I also thought it's the only film I've seen of Titanic where it captured that joy of the voyage in the first four days. Like this was a ship that was taking people, um, mm. the majority, because it was a steerage ship. It wasn't for the millionaires. It was just a status to them. And the officers, it was a job and the crew, 900 of them. And um, all the other people, like the second steerage path second or third class passengers, That it was a new life. It was a new start. That was why these ships were running. It wasn't a holiday to America. It was starting a new life. And I think it was meant to show kind of that joy and also maybe kind of showing her, getting a little bit more of life. I, you gather she'd been very, in mum, her mum, why did I say mum? Her mother says this about her, uh, you know, that she's a bit of a, a bit of a waste and whatever, that she's very prim and proper. And she is because at the beginning, when he first approaches her gift she says to him, shouldn't you be in school somewhere? And that made me laugh as well. Like, oh, that's the yeah. first line her character gets. Uh, but yeah, I quite enjoyed it to be fair, but I mean, maybe, yeah. see, I like that kind of, music so I, like I was brought up on like Laurel and Hardy Way out west and so I like that kind of music so at no point did I feel awkward I really quite enjoyed it but
1: maybe you gotta be the good for it. Yeah that's really funny the different like the, the taste that people have because just every time it, it went into like kind of song mode. Oh, I've no actually,
0: I've got no taste. I've got no taste. Clearly
1: <laughs> but like I actually posted to my Instagram story I was like they're at it again. Like they're singing again and then it hit the iceberg and I was like okay cool but then even straight after they fit the iceberg they're singing again oh yeah I was like what they don't stop but I you you know actually you're right because the contrast of this really jovial singing and this you know fun upbeat singing contrasted with when they sing Neither My God To Thee which you know in real life they didn't all stand and sing in like a choir you know but that's irrelevant because the, the poignancy of that and that contrast between them singing around a piano and then all of a sudden they're all now standing on the deck singing um, is actually really moving and really touching. And it, it does kind of highlight the fact that up until that point, everyone on the ship would have been in such high spirits, you know, even if there's all this, which there was, you know, these real dramas and, you know, people people have real lives know, all, all that's going on, but the overall vibe of the ship would have been really upbeat and optimistic Um, and I think they captured really well the fact that it felt like a like a fully functioning and operational like world you know because you've you cut to the Marconi room and they're taking messages from people and they're talking about you know hey this guy's got a full train reserved for himself when he reaches New York like that must be great and then it goes to like the purser's office and they're talking about things there so I think they did a really good job of fleshing out the ship and making it feel like a, a place where people worked, you know, where it was their job. And, you know, they were on that ship just doing their job. And then this awful thing happened, which even in the film feels inconsequential. But yeah, you're right. I think they did a really good job making the, the days leading up to that feel really positive. Um, and yeah, and I think they did a good job of making it seem like a real world with like real people.
0: Yeah, I th- I'll tell you what as well uh, James Cameron definitely watched this film because there's a scene in it where Clifton Webb's character well you know what if you've seen this in the night to remember Cameron watched them all um and homage them if you will um because he says why is it the British announced you know, dinner like a cavalry charge oh, yeah it's, it's a good point um and then so he refuses uh, a, a match with his son and lightola uh, this is the only bit that I thought was a, li- a- got on my nerves a little bit um where they showed Lightoller kind of going around checking on these ice messages. Did this come in? ended? I was like, this is not number one. I don't think it's accurate from my readings, mm-hmm. and I've done a lot of reading. As uh, no doubt yourself, you will have done it. it just seemed a bit kind of. I thought, why are you putting this in now? Like, there's no reason for it. You could have just took those out, and it would not have affected the film. Um, yeah. is not a main character in this, really. And I thought, well, why are you having him walking around saying, Captain, this? And then he goes off and asks the captain about the speed. And I thought, there's no way that would be done. If a captain ordered a speed, you wouldn't go and question him on it. Uh, Yeah,
1: they almost make Captain Smith seem like a bit of a sociopath. Like, it just seems like every officer is like, Captain, we're going really fast. Like, Mm. we, we do have ice warnings. And Captain Smith's like, ah, Nonsense. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Like we'll just crank up the speed some more. Like they they did make Captain Swift seem like a bit of a psycho, like intentionally or not, I don't know. But
0: sexy psycho, sexy
1: psycho. You know, bit bit of
0: a I I think what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to they were trying to kind of create this impending doom. Whereas it was like, well, we know it's Titanic. You don't need to do that. Um, It would Mm. be more realistic if that didn't happen. Like, there's a line, the only line that I thought, oh, that's a bit of a clunker, where they say something like, oh, is this the same iceberg? And Light has got the two pieces of paper with the guy who's charting the route. And it, the guy's like, uh, Light like, yeah, but what if they're not the same one? And he turns around like, anybody, guys? And there's no one there. And I'm like, oh, that's a, it, it went a little bit. I thought that was the only bit that I was like, yeah, you don't, you don't need to do that. And with Captain Smith, I think they were trying to make the point of, is he being a bit reckless? But it's a bit unfair because the kind of standard thinking at the time, Andy plotted the route further south than he was supposed to, and kind of make that point as well, um, yeah. was that you would get through an ice field as quickly as you could because mm-hmm. staying in it did you no good. You either got stopped for the night and you got stuck, like the Californian did, or you put your speed on and you got out of it as quick as possible uh, because to stay in that area of the icebergs wasn't you know, wasn't a good idea. Uh, you've got more yeah. chance of being hit, so get yourself out of it. And the ship wasn't by any means going at its top speed. It was going quick, but it wasn't... I, I don't think all the boilers were lit. I, I, I can't remember. It's been a while, but um, I'm pretty sure...
1: One of the things, you know, when I was saying in the beginning, trying to combat those common misconceptions and this idea of Esme wanting to be the fastest, and, you know, they'd already, already done that. You know, yeah. the Weiser Line had already made the fastest crossing with Olympic. So there was no great urge to do it again because they'd already done it you know they they had beaten cunard and that was kind of you know box ticked like they weren't actually actively trying to be and you know this blue ribbon thing didn't exist you know there was no medal waiting for them when they got to new york um you know Isme being overheard by um a first class female passenger whose name i forget mrs. Emily, but,
0: Ry- mrs emily ryerson
1: well was it emily ryerson that also she, see she, her <laughs> accounts are just incredible. Like her memory, the vividness of them, Um, like, yeah, she, like she's a very... Oh, was it? I, oh,
0: hang on a minute, I might be confusing. Mrs. Emily Ryerson, I tell a lie. I'm like, oh, no, 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 it was. It was because yeah. she's in Titanic Untold Stories. I've reviewed that mm-hmm. documentary on my podcast and she was going mm-hmm. to America to, I think her son had been killed in a car crash. She was going to mm-hmm. claim his body and it was one of the only times she went out of her cabin and she sat yeah. and heard Is me talking to Smith about this?
1: Uh, It's just really, you know, this idea of trying to be fast, but also, you know, they're being reckless because actually Smith had gone further south in order to avoid ice. So it wasn't like he knew that there was ice right in front of them and he just kept upping the speed. Like it was a bit of both, you know, he knew there was ice ahead of them, so he moved out of the way of the ice or he thought he did, you know, enough. And they were also, like, incrementally upping the speed because they could, you know, because they were like, you know, if we can get in a bit earlier, why not? Like, you know, scenario ship might as well, like, spread, stretch your legs, kind of thing. But they weren't, like, doing it, to their knowledge, into the path of ice. They thought that they had avoided it. So, so I can see why, you know, this film decided to have Smith come across as a bit reckless. But, um, but yes, it's a shame, because you know the man who's only been dead for like 41 years and he's already being portrayed as careless, and by all accounts, you know, all true accounts, that wasn't the case.
0: yeah, it was it was an interesting choice that we make, I think, and also that the, the way that the he'd got out of various scripts before. Um, I think he'd been commanding the Olympic when it hit the HMS Hawk. So he'd been in situations where the ships had been damaged and there's certainly, and this is probably isn't uncommon of most people at the time. He, he certainly had a misplaced sense of the ship's design and how practically, un- practical, yeah. that's hard to say. practically unsinkable it was. Um, yeah, Because apparently he sat one night on a table and he, he, he said, "If the ship was like this and you cut it into sections, each section would float." So he certainly had an idea that it was much, much more structurally sound than it was. And also, mm-hmm. the, the idea at the time was, where anything big enough to sink us, we're going to see in time to turn away from. And then there's the argument about Murdoch. It, it, he's not fifty odd. He was, he was only thirty nine, I think, young man, really. And he, he ran the engines full astern, which they reckon, they think. Uh, hindered its turning circle even more, even though it wasn't a very good turning circle. If he'd have kept the en- if they'd kept the engines going forward and then j- the propellers going that way and turned it, they might have got out of the way of it. But it's all conjuncture. Yeah. I mean we don't know how big the iceberg was underneath. It could have been huge. Um, yeah. you know th- so
1: actually evidence to kind of suggest that it wasn't just kind of side on damage. There was there's evidence or you know there's been kind of calculations done since then to suggest that actually the iceberg might have scraped the bottom of the ship Mm. um so even if they had gotten away enough to not have any side-on damage the iceberg might have still scraped the bottom so so it's one of these things you know you're right we can theorize about it until we're blue in the face but you know we weren't there you know and when you're faced with that kind of last minute kind of split second decision you know shoulda woulda coulda but-
0: yeah. and I mean as for as for Murdoch being the one in charge when the ship hit the iceberg, he, he's credited with saving more people than any other officer. So you got lightholder in the films come across as a hero, but actually mm-hmm. he let less people in his boats because he stuck vehemently to the no you know to women and children, no men. Whereas Murdoch put women and children in his boats and then went, right? Any more anyone else, men get in, anybody get in. Like, I need to get you you need to get away. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, in the way, he's been portrayed in the films. That's particularly Cameron's, which if anything I'm not I don't agree with editing films down after they've been released, but I think that would have been I'd have agreed with that one um, yeah. because I think I mean there are vague reports of, of shooting towards the end, but by that point the people who would have been on the ship would have all died, so there's no kind of witnesses. You know, it's even like near my God today. Um, Harold Bride was one of the latest people, you know, the last people off the ship um, mm-hmm. to live, along with Lightoller. He said when he came out of his cabin. It was autumn that he heard, which sounds similar to near my god to So there's even arguments. Well, not I Well, yeah, arguments with some people. But there's even debates about that. Nothing's set yeah. in stone. Problem with Titanic yeah. is that everybody thinks, lay people think, oh, everything's been discovered. Everything's known. Well, it isn't really. It's, it's only like a few years ago. They thought the rockets were all white, whereas they found the actual rockets on the seabed. And it turned out they're all different colors, which then... Yeah gives uh like kind of it gives a different view on the Californian because they reported they didn't see colored rockets. Um, mm-hmm. so it, was it the out the they saw so it's things change all the time. Um so yeah it's it's
1: that's, uh, that's what I think is really fascinating about it all um is yeah all, all these little things that come out that you think everything's settled. Like even something as simple as well if they'd had more lifeboats Everyone would have lived. Mm. It's like, but you're ignoring the fact that they didn't even manage to successfully yeah. launch every single like the collapsible boats floated off the boat deck. One of them was found floating around full of water with dead yeah. bodies and stuff. Yeah. Like so if you you know they had was it 18
0: they had six they had
1: sixteen boats and four collapsibles. That's it. So say they had like 50 lifeboats or something. But they
0: took both they spent, they didn't start launching the boats, and the shit, the films always missed this out. They didn't start, they hit the iceberg at 20 to 12 at midnight. They didn't start launching the boats till 20 to one. So they didn't start launching the boats for an hour. And then by the time they launched them, none of the crew had had any training, none of them. They didn't all speak the same language, neither did the passengers. There was no tannoy system. There was certainly no alarm like this film shows, which was getting right on my wick, Uh, in the background, like a submarine film. Uh, it was like Stop. i was expecting it, like you? oh god it was like a dive 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 wasn't it so you know it's this thing of it, they could have been 48 lifeboats on the ship but they wouldn't have saved everybody because they, no. they barely got the ones off and and this ship is very unusual the titanic the way it sank most ships capsize if you look at any mm-hmm. other ship that sank a warship or anything like that that sank been damaged they tend to turn over um mm-hmm. the titanic didn't turn over so they don't even know if if the if the carpenters and the you know the, the crew were actually trimming the ship as it sank to keep it upright, which allowed yeah. them to get you know all the boats down. Like the Costa Concordia, to go back to that, they couldn't use half their lifeboats because they were on the side of the ship that once it's past a certain angle, you can't scrape a boat down the side of the ship. So, it, so yeah, there was
1: a lot of factors. You know, they were lucky that they were sinking pretty straight down by the head. But I give this film a lot of credit because it's the first and one of the only, to be honest, films to show the port list. So, you know, the ship leaning to its left side. Um, you know, if you're standing on the bow leaning to its left side quite heavily, which I think in real life it had a 10-degree list to port. None of the and I don't know if it's intentional, you know, maybe they started sinking the model and it was just tilting and you know whatever. But but it looks good, it looks really good. And It probably is intentional because when you cut back onto the ship and you see Norman you know he's jumped back on to the ship to look for his dad Um, there is a port list you know they're walking you know quite funny because the ship Mm -hmm. is really leaning onto the side and I I mentioned earlier I alluded to that there were two scenes that gave me pause and actually really quite like affected me in like good ways because they were not what I expected from this film. And one of them was obviously the scene where they dropped the purse because it was just really underplayed and really realistic. And I really appreciated that. And the other scene was when um, Julia realizes that Norman isn't in the lifeboat anymore. And she screams Norman's name. You know, they've, they've reached the water. They're in the lifeboat. She realizes her 10-year-old son is back on the ship looking for his dad. And she just wails his name up to the ship. And the way that Barbara Stamick does it is so, like, I got shivers down my spine, like, and I played it again, and I got shivers again, like, she does it so well. It's like this, like, primal scream of a mother, like, that knows that her son, like, she's lost him, like, he's gone. Um, I just, I think Barbara played that superbly, so good.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was horrendous. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. The 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 bit about the list. So the, the reckon it listed that way because they had, funny enough, tardies. They had Scotland Road that ran up that side of the ship, which was for people who've seen the 1997 film. It's the long it's the long stretch that Jack and Rose run towards each other. That's Scotland Road. It's like the longest uh kind of. I think it was the least like there was no doors in it, so they reckon it flooded on that way. And t- tilted slightly because it took longer on the other side to flood. All that. These are the theories. We, you know, we, I don't think we'll ever really know. Uh, yeah, the warning Sirens fictional, t- t- which is a tad off-putting. I wrote down. Did my edit. Did my upside heading.
1: All time, it's like um, all of a sudden it's become like a World War II film. Yeah. It's like an air siren. It's like what the hell's it going was, on? It was.
0: It was <laughs> like a. It was like a, What happens? Um, it was like a call to quarters. They go off in like Royal Navy ships and things where. You see them on the war films where they call everyone at their action stations, but it goes on and on and on. And some scenes yeah. it's really prominent, and other scenes it's like in the background. And because I was watching it thinking, oh my god, I'm going to be hearing this while I sleep, you know, it's just in the background all the way through.
1: But, and I remember thinking, I was like, the, the panic, and to be fair, the sinking sequence for anyone that wants to, you know, rent or buy this film to watch it just for the sinking. I wouldn't actually recommend that because the sinking scenes it's it's quite a small part of the film you know yeah. the, the character drama and the character dynamics are are the film you know the, the sinking sequence is fairly short and actually the ship is stuck in like the one sinking position for most of the sinking yeah. you know with the bow kind of slightly underwater and with this really prominent port list and the propellers just out the water it's that's really mostly what you see yeah. but the siren it goes on for the whole time. And I remember thinking, you know, straight away, it seems like people are really panicking and, you know, they're rushing up the grand staircase to get to the lifeboats and, you know, they're kind of shoving each other to get to the boats. And I'm like, well, well no wonder, if you've got a sound like that going off, people are going to panic. Yeah. So you wouldn't actually, the band wouldn't be playing, you know, cause the, the, in real life, the band played to keep people calm. And that was the whole, that was the point. Um, but in this scenario where there's like this, warning siren going off there'd be no point having the band play because that siren's just going to wash everything else out yeah,
0: yeah it, it was a strange choice I, I, I think it was one of the only times where they made it more cinematic than they needed to it was just it wasn't needed um, so Giff says goodbye to, uh, to Annette um, Clifton Webb again another great line he says and sh- this is one of those lines that could have been so badly cheesy but the way he plays it's brilliant he says to somebody because he realizes this shows his redemption as a character he puts his family on a boat before norma jumps off little scamp! <laughs> he realizes he's gonna have to he realizes oh god i've got something he, he rushes down for the family of the bloke he's bought the ticket off because he thinks i need to save them as well and he goes and gets them and as he's going this one of the old the old fellas uh the old fellas who's first class with him says oh what what are you doing and he says we need to go and get this family i've got stuff to take care of and the guy says something like are you sure it's that serious and he's like we may be we may be eating sand for supper i thought that was quite See, i'm from the north we don't say so. well we do say something but not in the way they mean it uh yeah <laughs> so it, was, it was like oh okay yeah fair enough um and then uh but the gift says goodbye to annette which was a really good scene and also i mean the scene between clifton and um uh, and Barbara is just an example of outstanding acting. Where where they stood there on the, the you know the the boat deck of this ship, and they basically say to each other, you know, where's the last twenty years gone? What you know what happened to the love? Really, like you still see the love each other, but like they're both like, what the hell happened? And they realize it's the end. She realizes, she says, "Oh, thanks for lying to me." And he's like, "Well, it it makes it easy for me as well." He knows what. Mm-hmm. And all the all the guys do on the ship really that they, they realize. Um, he manages to save the other family. But that, that scene like they're looking at each other and um that was that was pretty because for anybody regardless of who you're with the idea that the idea that you'd ever be in a situation where you you would have to put them you'd have to put your family on a on a boat or help them safe and then step back and accept it it's pretty much the end for you. Um mm-hmm. correct, absolutely correct. I can't I don't want to imagine it but it, it that was that was the scene that affected me a little bit. I messaged yourself saying this yeah. feels a bit strong that was the only bit where I was like, oh, this is, yeah, this is a bit much. It
1: starting getting, like, really intense, which which is good, because, like I say, it contrasts with the kind of light humorous section of the, the kind of first half, um, or first, like, two thirds. And then even in the lifeboat, when someone hands Julia, I'm assuming it's Norman's gloves.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I think they find his gloves in the back of the boat, and they're like, hey, let's hand them to the mother who's grieving her. <laughs> Done. that's a good idea so they like they pass it on the board, like hey pass it on and she's like ah <laughs> she just like she's shot it's like why did you do that that's horrible like but um yeah a- amazing acting like for again an actress who would have been trained in like cinema's like super primitive age you know probably before like you know films were even had like speech and audio um you know, when, when they were first referred to as, like, talkies, her acting is really good. Like, she's oh, yeah. a very convinced actress. She doesn't, like, play it up. You know, it's not hammy. So she's just, she's, it's fantastic. She's really good in the role. And yes. it's, it's a good study. It's a really good character study, you know. You don't, you know, you don't need to focus on the historical characters. Like we've said, the Titanic thing's kind of secondary. It's kind of just looking at two people or a family, and saying, you know, they're going through this at the moment, but how would they react yeah. if if this happened? And it's a really good, and you're right, it could be a play. It'd be a fantastic play, actually. Um, you know, I do act myself, and if I ever saw that this was like a play, I'd like beg You want to be Captain eventually. Smith, don't
0: you? I know what you want to be Captain Smith, you grow your beard out and you'd be like, I want to sit there with a pipe, <laughs> smoldering away. i what you I know, I know. <laughs>
1: it's, the, it's the opposite. I would shave it off and I'd be Julia. I'd be like, I'm your
0: barber, now. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you'd have gone for the daughter, to be fair. You're too, too young. to play the old Too young. Um, no,
1: nah, she's, she's a lost cause.
0: Uh, well, yeah. It depends. You you might get some dashing American. You never know. Um, sure. Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, so Norman gets out the, uh, of the lifeboat to give his space to this old lady. Now, that's based on a true incident that happened but it wasn't a first class uh, kid. There was there was no first class kids that I was. There was the one little girl, I think. Uh, but apart from that, I think the majority uh, survived. Uh, Giff mm-hmm. uh, has his kind of hero moment. Puts her on the boat, steps back, and then a, And this is based on fact as well. You, I can't remember what lifeboat, but it, it ends up stuck over the top of another lifeboat. And this is more realistic than the James Cameron version, which even he admitted. Oh well, I went for. You know, I went for action rather than realism. This is more realistic. Uh, He hangs on the the fall ropes and he's trying to untwist it. And whilst he's doing it, his hand gets caught, rope bears, he falls to the sea. And I love the fact they showed him with a head injury because you wouldn't be able to fall that far, even when the deck was relatively stable and be all right. You know, it was 40 feet plus down the ocean. It's like (laughs) hitting concrete. And he gets pulled aboard um, uh, like a lifeboat with the head wound, but he lives. Uh, because you see him later on, like really struggling to roll, like he's seriously got like a bad concussion. Because all the others are roaring really nicely, and he's there, like trying to roll, like really <laughs> out of sync with everybody else. And you're like, yeah, like, um, uh, so, uh, yeah, a uh, gift played by Ro- Robert, uh, Robert Wagner. Like I saw that, and I was like waiting for him to appear. And then when I saw it at the end, I was like, oh my god, that was him! I didn't even recognize him. Like Robert Wagner, I mean, he's like number I two in Austin Powers. Like I. I've not seen him. Like, I didn't recognize him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, speaking of uh, the, the last little moment that I love that just told you so much was the scene mm. where just before he finds his son, um, he stood on the deck, um, Clifton's character, and he's, he's smoking probably his last cigarette that he's got left. And a load of the men from the boiler room or the stoker room, whatever, appear. And there's this guy yeah. stood there covered in all the soot and everything. And Clifton Webb just, just doesn't say anything to him, just takes the cigarette out of his mouth and just passes it to this guy. And the guy like looks at him as if to say thank you. Just and I thought I wrote down class doesn't matter. Like they're all in it now. Um and I <laughs> yeah. thought that that said so so much that little bit of it doesn't matter now. Does man, woman, child, like highest class, lowest class. It doesn't matter now, which is completely irrelevant. Um, yeah. just, speaking of relevant, she's
1: spoken about Julia being common. So, you know, he clearly does see himself as being better than people. Mm. And you're right, he now sees himself as just being a human. You know, it's just a, another man who's now going to die, just like the man next to him. Um, in terms of the, the last kind of few scenes with, with the sinking, they're very explosive. Like yeah, yeah. You know, the one sinking scene that you can find on YouTube, which is just one small clip, is the kind of final explosion when they're singing "Nearer, My God to Thee." But there's like two explosions even before that. Like yeah, I, I they-
0: gather, I gather they're meant to be the boilers exploding, but uh, which there were there were reports of like explosions within the ship, but the the, the weren't like that explosive. I think. I think what the what they thought was they had this beautiful moment, they're all singing and it's horrendous. And Clifton Webb's nearly crying and I'm really crying. And you're watching it and um you're thinking, oh, this is like how's this gonna finish? And then the boiler goes up, the people all hit the de- people fall over, and then the ship just go takes its final plunge. I think the reason why they put the explosions in was because they they couldn't figure out a way to like you couldn't because it would have been fall. like to, to, to transition, I think. Yeah, also the, the the technical aspect of it, but also the mood change. Like, I don't think it probably would have come across as like farcical if they'd have had them singing, and then the boat slowly slipped in. I think it would have it would have been almost like unintentionally funny, as if they were trying to be comedic yeah. with it. So I think maybe the thought: right, if you have the boilers explore it, it's like yeah, you've had this this haunting moment, but that's it now. Like it's it's over with. But um,
1: uh, I mean, I, uh, can it? dead. But I was thinking just before we came on, I was like, interestingly, because when you think of A Night to Remember, you've got the very visceral scene of Lightoller um, trying to get the collapsible boat off and the the ground under his feet slips into the water. And then all of a sudden he he just dives into the water. You don't really have that with this film. You know, the boat deck set clearly was not built in a a tank. You know, clearly they're on a soundstage. There's no water. So the filmmakers had to think, right, how can we show that the ship is sinking? You know, they've got the interior shots, so they've got the purser's office, they've got when the iceberg hits, there's a very cool shot of the wall tearing open and water pouring in, that's really cool. But the the promenade deck and the boat deck, you never see them flood or go underwater. So the filmmakers clearly thought, how can we symbolise the ship sinking without water? So the, there's a few explosions and actually it works, you know, fair enough. Okay. Um, it, it took a while because I, I was watching I was like, why so many? Like, you know, there's like three different explosions and it's gruesome because, you know, they fall down and they're covered in like cuts and their clothes are wrapped yeah. and they're all covered in smoke and so. But then I thought, ah, okay, right. So they're trying to symbolize that the ship's sinking, yeah. but they're limited because they don't have a tank.
0: Yeah. Well, so just,
1: just before I, that bit work
0: oh, yeah. I mean, just before that bit as well, to go back to uh, the priest, like they give him an arc as well. So he's wrote down uh, a, a telegram earlier saying to his family, I've been dismissed, I'm coming home. And that note, telegram, gets used by Captain Smith. He turns it over to write the coordinates of where the ship is. Uh, so the family never get that telegram, uh, amongst a lot of others. Uh, they don't know he's on his way, they probably don't even know he's on the ship, unfortunately. So he he, the one of the boiler explodes and he goes to run down there and he said there's people coming the other way saying get out it's going it's going on to get out and he says are the men down there and they say yeah but they're trapped and he says what does he say for the good of god man don't go there and he says for the good of god i'm going and he goes and yes. you, you know it explodes and you figure he's he's died trying to give comfort to these so that's like his redemption Uh, that was like that that was another moment that i thought yeah that's but like, I wasn't expecting that either. Like, I could barely remember the film, but I thought that was quite an interesting um, turn of events for him. There's a character, Mr. Yeah. Meeks, who ends up on the boat because he's dressed as a woman. Again, a hoax. Uh, there, there's no evidence for that. Um, they reckon it was made up by, like, a newspaper guy to poke uh, at kind of one of his rivals. There's lots of things. that, but who, Fortunately, we won't know because a lot of the people who would have been there
1: um,
0: mm-hmm. aren't around, really, And um the bit where the uh where the norman says, well richard finds norman and norman says to his dad you know i'm wearing long trousers i thought we could swim for it together and uh it's like you get the sense the kid knows kind of what it means Mm -hmm. but he kind of doesn't and he's saying you know that's that's enough of a man and clifton webb says to like a steward and to his son this is my son i've never been more proud or i feel as tall as a mountain and i was like wow i wasn't expecting it to be that like deep, I wasn't expecting it that because of how his character's been, and that scene where you see all the men's faces and they just all look and the kid and they all look absolutely heartbroken. And I just thought, like, when a film's this good that, that I will let it off the fact of like having Titanic Southampton written on the back of it, and the fact that the iceberg bits are clearly styrofoam, and there's a, like you see the iceberg ter- like hit them on the port side. No, not so hit them on the starboard side, and then you see the port side get like gashed. I was like, why didn't you just flip the film around? You did it right, then you did it wrong. Like when a film's this good, um, and also I keep meaning to say it, I keep forgetting is that the film, although the ship is secondary, it never feels like frivolous, mm-hmm. like it's just set on the Titanic for the sake of it. Now I don't know how they've pulled that off, and I don't yep. really for once I don't really have an explanation of why I feel like that, but it's ne- it never feels like they've just chucked it on the ship for the sake of it.
1: Hmm. I think... I give a lot of credit to this film because it's the first one to show... or Well, not show, but imply that the ship broke because it was denied. It was, you know, people mocked survivors that said, oh, you know we we watched the ship break apart and people were like it didn't break like and there's a lot of reasons that's a whole different discussion but it was only until the wreck was discovered that people were like oh my god the ship did break like wow and the the explosions you know the the final explosion um there's like debris flies off the ship and you actually see the deck you know it gives way under the feet of the people left on the ship and you know walls break apart and windows smash so it heavily implies that the ship broke apart and I really appreciate that I really respect the fact that it was the first to to do that you know um because they didn't have to you know they didn't need to imply that but um and I think it's it was almost respectful to you know those who who said you know I I saw the ship break um Famously, I think it was Melvina Dean, but I could be wrong, Um, but there was a a survivor who was at a titanic convention. Um, So, you know, she's there. She was on the ship, and she's surrounded by people that are just enthusiasts of the the ship. You know, they, they weren't there. They just think the story's worth remembering, and that's great. But she was mocked at this convention in, like, the early 80s for saying that she saw the ship break, and... You know this guy with a microphone, like well, actually no, he snatched the microphone out of her hand. Well, I've
0: seen this clip.
1: I've seen this clip. Yeah, yeah. And it and he was basically, it was just like, well, no, that couldn't have happened. Like, and then a few years later, the the wreck is found and it's found in two pieces. So like, yeah, it did happen. Like, so so when I watched this film, that's that one bit where the deck it does break, it does it breaks apart. You know, it's subtle, but you see it. Yeah, well, and I think like, you know. I, i like that a yeah.
0: lot there's still debate as to whether it broke at the waterline, slightly under the waterline. where did it break was it in front of the second funnel behind it or was it third funnel either see this, this is what people there's still a lot of kind of debate about about how the ship did break apart and whether it clung together and because the, the fact was by the time it broke apart the lights had gone out because how they how they yeah. kept the lights on for so long isn't unbelievable uh, the fact that they, they the engineers none of whom survived managed to keep the lights going virtually to the end because everything would have been all the breakers would have been popping um it, it was that was quite kind of th- 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 there was no light so the only people who kind of heard it or would have been able to see it were the ones who were there um light like they tended to take the the accounts of officers or upper class again back to class britain of course yeah. um uh, they took the accounts of the officers and, and the first class passengers uh, over other people um, for what you know various reasons. Uh, so I think that's that's something that, that uh, it's good that they could. I never thought of it like that. So I like that idea that maybe they thought right. Well, yeah, we'll we'll will have we'll imply that it broke apart because clearly they wouldn't have had the technology to do it either uh, in terms yeah. of the model. So. No, I, I, uh, that's That was the end of my notes. Did you have anything else that you wanted to go through? Any more notes? No,
1: um, that was, also, that was the end of my notes. Um, just credit for being the first Titanic film to imply that the ship broke. And my final note was one that we've already said. Um, the fact that it's set on the Titanic just feels secondary. Um, but I would still recommend it. I think people should still watch it because I think it's one of those. There's a lot of Titanic media out there. And some of it should be avoided at all costs. It's bad.
0: Yeah. Titanic, um, Titanic 2012,
1: we're looking at you. Oh, my God, at that's you. awful. Um, yes. Titanic The Legend Goes On, which is an animated one where there's a oh, wrapping Is that
0: the... Of... Is that the... Yeah, oh, God, no. Yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, my good God, no. And, and
1: I... like, cartoon octopus saves the ship and puts it back together and no one dies. Like, okay, that's God. a choice.
0: I've avoided that one. I, 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 that's one oh. Titanic piece of, I'm glad I haven't seen honest with you I don't want to see that one don't want
1: to see it but yeah I would really recommend this one um because I think the sinking scenes in particular with you know the animatronic lifeboats in the foreground yeah they're pretty decent yeah yeah super decent um the ship model itself is incredible so the the far off shots of it sinking um are yeah they're really worth seeing and I but I just think As a film, you know, like I said, this could have happened anywhere and the people that died could have died in like a bus crash, but it would still be worth seeing, even though it wasn't about Titanic. The fact that it's about Titanic doesn't actually matter. I think what does matter is that it's a really well-written and well-acted film and I would just highly recommend it to anyone that likes films because it's just, it's a good one.
0: Yeah, it is a cracker. Uh, I can't say any better than that. Um, so, Aaron, uh, just before we we close things out, do you want to just uh, give yourself a bit of an introduction and just say where people can find your not just your podcast but also um, you know your art and that kind of thing? So, I'll throw the floor to you. Yeah.
1: So, um, on Instagram, if you look um, up "Time to Talk Titanic," um, you will find the Instagram page. And my art, uh, I'm working on a, a book, an illustrated history book, kind of geared towards younger learners and schools. Um. Is Titanic Artist, so Titanic underscore Artist, um. So you can find me there. And thank you very much for having me on. This has been great. I've really enjoyed it.
0: No, so have I. Uh, I I could honest to God talk about Titanic till the cows come home. I it's just, mm. I, I'm forever picking out n- new things because there's that much there's that much out there about the Titanic. There's Ghosts of the Abyss. I haven't done yet. There's loads of documentaries. Like I don't really want to review lo- loads of documentaries, but there's some good ones out there. Uh, there's just so much to go over like it's just a, and, and whenever something new comes up I, I will give you a bit of a tip though uh if you haven't seen it there's a series they do uh, it's called like drain the ocean where they like computer graphically drain the ocean and they did a mm-hmm. titanic one oh my god there's an hour i mean people could say that about this podcast and that would be fair enough but good god that program was an hour of my life i'll never get back what a waste <laughs> of time like they didn't say anything about it it was just like here's the ship if you drain the ocean. Right, okay. Anything else? And I also yep. watched one about, uh, that was on Channel 4, Channel 5, one of those, about the, uh, um, well, avoid the Olympic and Titanic ones. Did the swap, avoid those. And also avoid this one about, oh, was there a fire on board the ship? I'm like, well, there might have been. There, were, there was, we know there was. They've, they've accounted it. It happened all the time. Oh, well, it might have weakened the ship. Yeah, it might have. Is that, all, is that it? Like, oh, it was wasting my time. But well, yeah, there's yeah, new.
1: I... <laughs> here. Like last year, um, I came across an article that was suggested, and it said, you know, did a solar flare sink the Titanic? And I was like, I give up. I, I'm yeah. I'm leaving then. Like, it's just you know, next year it'll be like, did a grizzly bear sink the Titanic? You know, they'll they'll just keep coming up with new. And and if anything, it actually shows the. Evergreen nature of the Titanic disaster that it doesn't matter what's in the thumbnail or what's in the title, people are going to click it because the Titanic, even if it's nothing to do with the film, and even if the film is what kind of made people aware of the disaster, it's almost become like biblical or like a Greek tragedy at this point. It's almost it's completely surpassed the real historical event. It's become oh, yeah absolutely so much more than that. It's like a moral fable at this point.
0: Out of the out of the three top uh, episodes, I've got top rated two of them. The second and third of Titanic. Out of just that's it. Like it, it, this, it it seems to transcend everything else. Doesn't matter what you talk about. The, the my top rated episode, Spider-Man, for obvious reasons, brought it out on the date to come out in America, uh, with spoilers. So that was why that was popular. And then the next two are Titanic. Um, yeah. One's a documentary and one was the 97 film that I talked about for an hour or 40 minutes on my own. So that, 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 that those are, I don't know. It just, it seems to be this, uh, this thing that people like love to read about and love to to listen to. So hopefully they'll find this interesting, but uh, yeah, once again, Aaron, thank you for coming on Um, and thank you to anybody who's listened. Uh, we'll be back with some more reviews soon. Cheers guys. Thanks Aaron.
1: Thank you.